have a great discussion. My name is Barbara Erke. I'm the Vice President of Academic Affairs for the School of Nursing at Indiana Wesleyan University, which is kind of like being the dean. So to shorten it, you can call me either one. But I was the dean, and they just changed my title for me. So, um, um, <laughs> Are we big? Yes. Uh, I give it all the way to missions, so you know. So. Um, Anyway, so it's really my pleasure to be here. Some of you were in my the session just earlier, and um, hopefully you don't hear a lot of repeat. Um, for this session, it's um, nursing and missions. Um, I want to give a little background. Uh, I am from northern Minnesota originally. Uh, Woo! Okay, Bemidji, Minnesota. Um, so that's where I know this is he, up here, so I'm hearing groans, but I'll just ignore him. Um, I became a nurse um, at St. Cloud School of Nursing, then went to Crown College um, for my bachelor's in missions, and then I um, became a full-time missionary with the Christian Mission Alliance in the Democratic Republic of Congo, did a sabbatical in Gabon, and have done lots of stuff in between. So, you know, so that's just kind of kind of the scope of some of my missions background. So that gives you a little bit of an idea, and I have a passion really for missions, and the work of missions and I love nursing students and what we do with nursing students and then when they graduate and and then they move on into full-time service and and that's always a, a joy for me before we begin I'd like to open in prayer and ask God to be with us father thank you so much for today for your care for your word for how you direct us we ask for your presence here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of my, some of my greatest joy is hearing from students when they are, have moved on into um, full-time service or part-time service. Recently, we had somebody who was um, on the Mercy ships. I saw somebody with a bag, Mercy ship bag here. Um, she spent nine months in Congo on the ship. And um, it was an excellent experience. And I got to read, kind of live vicariously through what she was posting. One of our graduates is the personal nurse of the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. Now, what we taught him to be able to do that, I have no idea how he got the job, nothing, but um, you should hear his stories. He's tired of drinking camel milk and, you know, all of those things. But, um, but our cor- one of the courses we require of all undergraduate students is called transcultural nursing. It's a two-credit transcultural nursing course, and we go through a cultural assessment, which was the topic from the previous session, and then they have to do a one-credit transcultural experience somewhere in the United States or around the world. And there are a lot of cultures in the United States that our students have participated in, from the Amish to the kosher Jewish nursing home to the Cherokee Indian Reservation to the Navajo out in Chinle, Arizona, to... Um, a clinic in Indianapolis that is, is all in Spanish that is run by mainly from physicians and nurses from Argentina, Chile, and um, name the countries, and they were there. So our students have a wide variety, or they go overseas. They, do a, they could do a semester abroad in Zambia. So our students have a cultural background, um, but it doesn't qualify them at all to be a, nurse, uh, to be a um, missionary. Okay? I'm, I'm kind of... Passionate for the title of this is Nursing and Missions, and I'll read the outcomes here. 
um, discuss three reasons why language learning is critical to the nurse working in a mission setting and cite educa- essential education preparation for a nurse working in missionally. So I'm pretty passionate about education and experience and what what one has to do before one becomes, you know, a missionary. Okay? And one of the reasons is, as I was one of the first years I was in Zaire, I read a book by Helen Rosevere, and it was Give Me This Mountain. Has anybody read this book, Give Me This Mountain? Okay. So here's a quote. Um, I typed it on my little typewriter back in the early 80s as I was there. I still have the onion skin typed copy that I keep in my African Bible, and I make copies of it And when I'm speaking like this because I find that it really is critical to understand this component of being if you're going to be a missionary or think about being a missionary, if you're going to do short-term or if you're going to do long-term, this quote really changed my whole thought pattern. So here we go. If you think you've come to the mission field because you're a little better than others or as the cream of your church or because of your medical degree or for the service you can render the African church or even for the souls you may see saved, you will fail. Remember, the Lord has only one purpose ultimately for each one of us, to make us more like Jesus. He is interested in your relationship with himself. Let him take you and mold you as he will. All the rest will take its rightful place. This was told to Helen by Jack when she first got, as a medical doctor, when she first got to Zaire, Belgian Congo, I think, when she got there. So if you're going there because you want to see lives saved or because you're a nurse or you're a physician or whatever, that's not the ultimate reason God has you going there. So I'm just going to be quiet a moment. I want you to rethink about what I just said, what I read. I'm going to read it one more time. If you think you've come to the mission field because you are a little, little, little better than others, or as the cream of your church, or because of your medical degree, or for the service you can render the African church, or even for the souls you may see saved, you will fail. Remember, the Lord has only one purpose ultimately for each one of us, to, be, to make us more like Jesus. He's interested in your relationship with himself. Let him take you and mold you as he will. All the rest will take its rightful place. So that's the basis that I begin this talk about educational preparation and language learning for someone who is thinking about missions. I was a long-term missionary, 11 years in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It was Zaire when I was there and evacuated in 91, and then I fought to go back. um, writing, Writing my letter of resignation from my mission board so that I would stay in the United States was very hard. But I knew God wanted me in the States because he needed to do something in me. Now here, and it was harder to be here than it was to go back. And so he's had to work with me here. And that's the only reason that I can be content here. Now, he's also given me many opportunities to do a lot of global work. So he has me here and I I get to influence young people to consider full-time missions work. We have one uh, missionary nurse now in Mali. He graduated about seven or eight years ago. We have a couple, one, a new, uh, one that's just going. She's learning her language, she and her husband in um, France, and we'll be going to Burkina Faso, Guinea, 
I won't go to Guinea until the Ebola is over because we've just evacuated the missionaries from, from Guinea, but they're on track to go to Guinea. So I can begin to name some of them that it wasn't really me, but I've had a bit of, you know, been able to present and encourage and pray for and work, work with for people thinking about missions. And so that, has, that brings me great joy. You know, um, following them on now Facebook. It's really easy. I mean, you can read that on Facebook, what they're doing, how God is blessing them. But really, truly, it's because where God wants you. And he took me to Zaire, had some difficult, very difficult times, and he had to really break a part of me that only there I think I would have been able to be broken there. I was pretty content uh, my life in the United States and all, and the, but there was part of me, my heart needed to be softened. I needed to see people in a different way, and only then. And periodically I get to go back and have my heart softened again. Because once you stay in the States for a while, it's just like, well, this is what life is. And you just kind of become a cynical, maybe a little bit cynical about what's going on. And I, I, I love going and re-seeing, oh, yeah, God, this is what you've called me to do. And so as, as that's my, part of my preparation is getting back and seeing and seeing where God wants me. Now, one of the hardest things for me to do was to go to China. I don't know. Um, I was, I'm an African sort of person. I knew the languages. I, I, that's where I wanted to go. And I can remember arguing with my provost. I don't recommend arguing with your provost, by the way, you know, the top academic in the university. And don't recommend that, but I did. And he said, I said, I'm going to go to Kenya. And he said, I need you to go to China. And I said, there's a trip going to Kenya, and I think that's where I'm going to go. The third time he told me he needed me to go to China, I went. And um, I fell in love with China and saw what God was doing in China and knew that that's where I needed to be. Now, I had to fight about it with my, not fight about it, argue about it with my provost. We laugh about it now, but... He's now the president of the university, so I'm glad I, <laughs> glad I had enough sense to um, follow what he wanted me to do. We have a memorandum of understanding. And, and last year, one of their faculty who brought five students with, them, um, with her, she came and um, she accepted Jesus. I mean, and that was well worth it, not going to Kenya and, and building a relationship with that school and, and seeing one life come to, come to Jesus. So educational preparation begins now. I mean, we can talk about other things, but really begins now for you. How many of you are still in college? Okay. And I'm assuming that you're really thinking missionally. You're really thinking about going and and doing something. But I challenge you, in fact, for one minute, we're going to have it, well, we never get one minute because it's very silent for one whole minute. But what I want you to think about is what you could do in your community this next week that would be missional. Write it down. You're not missional here. It'll be very hard to be missional there. So being missional starts here in your community, at the community health clinic, the free clinic, or a shelter, a homeless shelter. Any one of those, they need you now. They need Jesus now. They need to see Christ now. 
So if you don't do that here, it doesn't automatically happen the moment you get on a plane and you get off the plane and all of a sudden you're going to just work with people because you love people. You begin loving them here. And I challenge you, and I know, okay, you're in school and you have lots going on, but missional living begins now and service begins now. And all of that helps prepare somebody who's looking at, especially long-term, but even for short-term, it begins, it helps you focus about what you should be doing. It begins to form you now. So never wait until you're there to begin doing your mission work. Begin doing it here, whatever that means, whatever your community is. Maybe it's going to volunteering at um, somebody who's working with um, inner city kids. Maybe it's at a, at a uh, elementary school that needs some assistance. And I know you're nursing students, but going and helping at a, at a little elementary school and helping work with kids that maybe speak a different language. And I don't know where you're all from, but there are many. The culture has come here to the United States. And if you don't like the culture that's here, that's come to see you here, why would you ever like them over there, Right? Indiana has one of the largest Burmese population in the United States. So if you're looking at, I want to go to Burma, I want to, or Myanmar, I want to go there, how about coming to Indiana and working with them right here in the United States? And so that's the sort of thinking that we need. And this is part of your educational experience. You know, you get your first degree, you get your bachelor's of science in nursing for those who are in nursing, or you get your medical degree or whatever. You get that. But that's only the very beginning. It really is for long term. Okay, so how many of you are maybe thinking long term missions? God's talking to you. How many of you are thinking long term? Okay, great. Um, it's, it's, really a, it's really a process. Many of you would like to graduate today and then just go. You know, here I am. I'm just going to go be a missionary uh, for full time, for long term. There's a lot of steps in, bef- in before that. And um, we're going to talk about some of the steps that I believe that are critically important for success on the mission field. And part of, part of it, I have, I have my iPad and I forgot to turn off the, the four-digit code to get into it. It'll come off. It'll come on and I have to keep playing with my iPad. I'm not checking email, as the person said earlier today. I'm not just checking it. Um, but there's things you need to do today. So you start early. You volunteer. Um, then when you look at short-term versus long-term, doing some short-term before going long-term certainly is a very applicable. Really see if you can do it. I can remember, I became a Christian when I was 17 and um, was at a Bible camp and met a missionary from Haiti, challenged me to think about coming to Haiti when I'd finished my nursing degree, and so I did. Um, I left on about July 3rd, saw the fireworks in Haiti, and then um, went to Okai and spent seven weeks there and came back. I wrote my state boards on the 1st and 2nd of July and got the results seven weeks later. I know you guys can't even imagine waiting seven (laughs) weeks for anything. You, You get them in two to three days. But no, but it would help that I was gone down in Haiti and I didn't even, I didn't have mail or anything. So, and it was, it wasn't there when I got home, but a couple days later it, it, it arrived. 
But that was an excellent experience for me. I had never been outside of the United States except to, as I said in the last one, go to, I picked blueberry, we used to go blueberry picking up into Canada. That was before you needed passports or anything. And so you just go up for the day, pick blueberries and come home. But certainly nothing about culture. But going to Haiti and learning to live for seven weeks helped me see some of the needs that one has to have to be able to live long term in a culture and to be able and it it was more than just graduating from nursing school and having you know going to bible college i went then came home and went to bible college for two years and uh, got a bachelor of science in missions it's more than that it's a commitment of daily living intentionally until one is ready to go and at this point where we are in the world, I, I, I don't know if I'll be very popular with some people, but I really think um, master's degrees, in many ways, pretty essential. I know if you're just going to go down to and provide health care somewhere, um, maybe not, but I went as a missionary nurse, and I was not a nurse practitioner, and I was actually trained to be a nurse practitioner by a Zairean who was not a nurse practitioner but could diagnose and treat. And so I, be, I was trained on the job to do that. A lot of, if you're going to go, you're not going to go do bedside nursing. You're going to go providing at a higher level of care probably. You need more education. I felt very inadequate doing, I eventually learned how to do all that. But I wished I would have been a nurse practitioner once I knew what a nurse practitioner actually could, was able to do. So I'm encouraging people to go, first of all, work in the United States two or three years. First of all, you have to pay off your debt, right? You don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to, you can't go. Most mission organizations don't, won't send you if you're in debt. So you need to pay off your debt, which means living missionally now, you know, frugally maybe is another word to say it. But missionally sounds a little bit better, doesn't it? Um, so living missionally. So so doing that, working in the United States and getting some experience. You need you need to feel confident in your nursing skills. Most places in the world are further advanced than just wanting somebody to come and do health care, you know, on a daily basis for them. We need to be doing education and training. How many of you have read the book When Health Care hurts. Raise your hands high. Okay, everybody write down when health care hurts. And the author's name is Greg Seeger, and he's here. If you come by the Indiana Wesleyan uh, University booth, I have his book front and center on my table. And his booth is kind of catty corner. He's lent me his book so I can. He didn't. He's not asking me to market it. I am marketing for him. When health care hurts is now being required by all of our faculty who are leading um, short-term academic trips. It's being required by our DNP students for their global health care, and it's being required by faculty who lead those global health care trips. Anybody going on global health care supposed to be reading this book? Any idea why? Why is it so critical? Who's read it that can give, stand up and... Just say why it might be critical. When healthcare hurts. I mean, have you read When Helping Hurts? Some of you have read that book. When, when healthcare, that's helping hurts. When healthcare hurts, we have done, and you know, I've been a missionary, so I can kind of say that we have done a lot of disservice to a lot of countries. 
And so if I'm stepping on toes, um, please forgive me. Say it right up front. Um, But when we go to and see 700 patients in one week and we feel very good about it and we put about 30 or 40 people on blood pressure medication and we come home, and they never they get blood pressure medication for one month because we brought them down something from the United States and we've given it to them and they'll have no follow-up care. It's not the best practice. We've probably put out the pharmacist who's in the local pharmacist, whether it's in a wheelbarrow pharmacy where I've seen that or it's our actual pharmacy. We probably put them out of work for the week because we provided all of our meds free. So this poor guy or woman has no money, no income. So you can understand why the pharmacist isn't really happy when we come and do give away all of our meds. That they'll only see and then they wait for another 11 months so the next team will come. Begin to see where healthcare can hurt. And then when we're gone, and I put myself in it, when we're gone, They're back in the very same situation. We haven't really helped them move one inch further in better health care. So that whole book talks about evidence-based practices. And um, so I really recommend it. It really changed our view of how we do our academic trips. And we're only calling them academic trips now. Now, we end up going to some of the mission organs, some mission places, but we call them academic trips because they're getting academic credit. So ours, is our, ours are a little different. But when a faculty will come to me and say, oh, I just went to, and we saw 700 patients in a week, I just like cringe. But since it wasn't academic, then I really can't tell them they can't do that. But it really, that's not the, it's not really the way to do health care to make a long-term impact. So you're going to start throwing little things at me? You know, are you okay? Are you, are you okay with this? You, you push back a little bit. It's okay. I have time. You can push back. Disagree? We're not equipping. Okay. So that's where education comes in. Educating the local pharmacist, educating the local um Healthcare per- person, and oh, I've heard so many times there's absolutely no one. There's usually a traditional birth attendant or there's a wise woman that does all the deliveries. And we could cut down on infant mortality if we, tra- if we teach them, if we come alongside of them and show them, help them, understand them. will make a bigger difference than if we just deliver babies for one week and then come home and not work with the traditional midwife or almost not even work with the, you know, whoever the healthcare person is, shaman or whatever you want to call them. There's somebody providing some sort of health care in the village. And, no ma- and so the next time you go on a trip, find out, like, who's providing any health care? Who, who's the wise person who will tell you about? And find out who's doing that. And I do hear regularly, oh, they, there's no health care for five, you know, for five hours or long, around, you know, along, you know, five hours you got to walk and then you get health care. And that might be true. There might be some instant things one could do, like do a dental procedure, you know, pull a tooth that's killing them or something, you know, maybe. But for the most part, people have found ways, traditional ways to handle health care. And our job more is to come alongside and help educate 
or help support them or do what they want, you know, to help bring their level up so that when we're gone 51 weeks out of the year, that they have a little bit better level of education. That's not a real popular message, but I'm encouraging that these days. In since I guess I'm standing up here with the mic, I can tell you that information. And I, I really do believe that. I think it's critically important. Our doctor of nursing practice students all have to do a global experience. Um, they go to Haiti, the island of Laguna, they go to China, or they go to Zambia. And what the first group did is they've gone, um, we were down in Haiti for two weeks in China, 10 days, and found out from the two our partners down there, what do you want done? What do you think needs to be done? We went with very little preconceived idea of what we thought was needed. And so the ones that I was working with down in Haiti, um, they started talking to the midwives. That was kind of the, they, there was some information about the need for midwives. So they actually rode trucks out into the, talked to the midwives and had translators. And the midwives said, what we really want to know is how to provide better health care, how to provide safer care, safer deliveries, and help our babies breathe. Because frequently um, the baby doesn't survive. And so the next group that goes down in February will go down and actually do some training because that's what they wanted. And where did, you know, it wasn't my, a lot of that information came out of, um, the book that we need to find out what they want. Not, I think we need to go down and teach them how to wash their hands, and that will save lives. You know, maybe they don't. That's not the best. They really wanted to know about how to deliver safely. And you know, the hospital has little, little kits um, for women. Um, they come down, buy them for 50 cents, and then they can take them back to their villages. But they never get back out there because they're so far. So, you know, maybe that sometime there's going to be an economic idea of maybe getting them out into the villages, you know, sending them out on trucks or something so that they'll have a sterile um, razor blade to cut the cord and they'll actually have sterile string because right now they just take a cloth and rip off and tie the cord, which then there's some infection rate. So they're telling this to our students who are quite horrified, needless to say, about what's going on down there. And so then the students are saying, well, you know, like, what would you like? Well, we want more education. We, we want to know how to do it better. We want our moms to live. We want our babies to live. And we're saying, okay, fine. So this is what we're thinking. Oh, okay, yeah. So have you heard of the program Helping Babies Breathe? Yeah. So we're probably, we do that now in Zambia, our undergraduate semester abroad students. That was their diagnosis over there. They did the nursing plan, and that was what the people there wanted. And so we've been doing it there quite successfully. And um, so they're thinking about maybe doing it down there. But it's what they want and not what we want. So when we talk about education, we need to have a level of knowledge, a master's level of knowledge to be able to do the correct way of thinking, planning, organizing, and have the ability to work with people. I'm going to pause there. It, questions that you might have on, on what I've just said, my thoughts here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll repeat your question so it gets, it gets caught. I might be able to project. Okay. So you said a master's degree, uh-huh. something Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, education then. 
so you understand how to correct how to create teaching plans and create teaching curriculums um, how to do an assessment of somebody's knowledge so education and um, what I did while the, nurse, the doctoral students were out traveling with the other um, doctoral faculty that was along I was teaching in a brand new nursing school so helping them educate Haitians to become nurses is probably the best thing I could have been doing. I didn't need to be a nurse practitioner for that. I have an, you know, education. So education, learning how to pre- create information logically, culturally, sensitively, and all of that is also very, very necessary. So being an educator, some we had a, I had a master student with me. She was. Um, didn't know what she was going to do when she went down there. So we went to the nursing school, and the, the, the dean of the nursing school said, I need somebody to create QuickBooks for me. She said, oh, I do that all the time. I can do it. So here's a master's student in, in admin, nursing administration, and she set up the QuickBooks for this nursing program. And the dean of the school was, like, thrilled to pieces. She said God had answered her prayer. And this QuickBooks wasn't just setting it up. There was American money coming in. There was UK pounds coming in. There was Haitian gourds coming in. And then there was also Haitian dollars coming in. So she had to get all four of this, these, this money coming in so that it would work. So there are other, so if, you, if you're not wanting to do the nurse practitioner rounds, there are other. You could get a, yes, okay. Yeah, Masters of Public Health. And so, um, or a master's in community health nursing or public health nursing. And I always put the nursing on there because if you want to come back to the States and you want to work in a magnet hospital, them having, just having an MPH, you need a master's in, with a nursing title. I mean, I, I know if you want to go overseas forever and ever, then you don't have to worry about that, but that nursing master's is important. So um, I know some programs one very close to me, looking at doing an MPH-MSN, you know, a combined degree. So you get that MPH, the Master's of Public Health, and a Master's in Nursing Science. So you can integrate the nursing science and the public health would be very good. Mm-hmm. So there, there, there are other options, depending on where you're going. The other, so we've got you now educated, okay, so we got you at the right educated level. And then you got to, I'm a firm believer in learning the language. I spent a year in France learning French. And then I went to Belgium and had tropical medicine. Then I went to um, Democratic Republic of Congo and spent two years in Kikongo language study. Um, and I would have preferred not to learn all that language. But the only way that you can really talk with people and work with people and help people and make an impact in people's lives is to speak their heart language. Their heart language is, it's critical that you understand it. Now I've worked with translators or interpreters. We had this conversation in the last one. I've worked with them, um, and that's okay for short term. And, but for long term, if you're thinking long term, language learning is absolutely a must. And if I can do it, you can do it. If most of the world can speak four languages, a few Americans can learn two. (laughs) Yeah. Can. I'll I'll give you my testimony about learning the language. Um, I had speech therapy starting when I was about age four. 
And uh, my speech teacher didn't ever, my speech therapist never thought I would be able to speak English very well. And when I got to, my mother didn't either. Uh, when I got to France, I had real struggles speaking French my first month. And so I emailed, I didn't email, wrote the letter home and said, just pray for me because I'm not being successful in learning French. And people prayed and I was, I passed then my, my courses and then went on to Belgium and studied tropical medicine in French. And I can remember coming home on one of the furloughs and speaking in church and my speech therapist was there and she was just like, I can't believe this. It's a God. It was God. It certainly wasn't me. I mean, it was God that did it. So if I can learn a language, you can learn a language. And I would encourage you, you need to learn a language. I mean, because language is of the heart. If you really want to communicate and really be able to get it, get working with people long term, you have to know the language. My biggest frustration is going to Central America and because I've refused to learn Spanish because I don't want to ruin my French, I say. Well, I don't know if that's ever My French has deteriorated, but, um, but it's, I can't communicate like I want to. I just can't. And it's very frustrating when I'm in a country I can't communicate. And going to China, I can't communicate. And I feel I miss a lot because you know how it is. You will say one short sentence and they translate it or interpret it into about 15 different sentences and you're wondering exactly what did I say there? <laughs> And you just have to smile and trust the person. But that's why I prefer knowing what's going on. Yes, you were going to say? You know, our, for you and I, our white hair covers a little bit. But <gasps> the other aspect of learning the language... This is not white. It's a nice color of blonde. Uh, well, left, uh, blonde. Entering the culture as a, as a learner, you, you come in and, and, you know, the job of savior is already taken. Mm-hmm. I think someone else has that description. And so, but we come in as the expert and as the savior, and that's not the message that we need to enter the culture mm-hmm. with. When you enter as a language learner, mm-hmm. uh, everyone figures out pretty quickly that you're not, you don't know nothing. Yeah. Language, yeah, it's a humility, it's humiliating. It really is. Learning the language can be very humiliating because you've been a successful nurse, you've saved lives. And all of a sudden, you can't even communicate, and you're back to, you know, zero. And, and you know, it's very frustrating um, for, for people. And so language learning can be humiliating, but it's very critical. Uh, yeah. I think it really gives you a whole lot of insight into the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, learning, uh, when I was learning a language, then just the way they, the word for problem in, in Mubar was, water, which literally interpreted is to be called an elephant. And, and, um, I, and I said, well, how, how did that get to happen? And then they told me the whole legend about elephants and how you have to get around an elephant in the road, and that's why a problem is. And so you get to understand the culture uh-huh. because you have the language. If you didn't study language, you would never have that, that insight. Uh-huh. Thank you. That's so true. I mean, to learn the culture. You all, I mean, we already talked about the translation problem, and I, forgive me for saying this. I was said this in the last one. I was doing so two weeks of t- teaching in Russia, and I was talking about ethics. And um, I used the term euthanasia being, um, you know, something that we did not support. And then I saw everybody just really go blank. I mean, like, really. And so I said, how did you translate that? They translated it. Youth in Asia are not, it's not good. <laughs> Literally. 
And so I had to like, okay. So I had to go backwards a little bit and say, okay, that's not how, you know, and so I had to explain it to them. So, you know, learning the language and knowing, and then if you don't know the language, you know, being aware of when everybody goes blank trying to figure out why Asian youth are bad, you know. So you really do have to, you have to be aware um, from the language stand, from the language standpoint. Um, it's a heart language to really be able to um, work with people, languages of the heart, you know. You have to, you just have to learn, take that time. If you're going to be long term for, for groups, I, it's, to me, it's on one of those mandatory. I'm now thankful that my mission told me that I had to learn French and had to learn Kikongo and eventually had to learn Lingala so that I could really pray with people and understand them so that I could effectively pray and I could effectively work with them. Um, it's also a safety issue. I, I think if you're going to be in a country long term, there's a safety issue of, of being able to understand when something's going on. And people will translate um, or interpret what they think you want to know. And sometimes you really need to know something you don't want to know. And so for safety's sake, I think you need to learn the language if you're going to be there long term. If it's going to be short term, two to three weeks, you know, four weeks, probably not. But for safety's sake, I recommend learning the language so that you can hear, you can hear as you're going through the marketplace and you can hear the words, whether you acknowledge that you're understanding them or not. Sometimes it's really good not to acknowledge that you're understanding everything that they're saying. But then you can, you can feel you're, you're safer, that you know what they're saying, that you know if somebody's following or somebody has said they're following or somebody said something, well, watch that. You know, you have, it's, so for me, it's also a safety issue. One of the reasons to learn, to learn a language is a safety issue, is a safety issue. Um, so, any questions up to this point? Yes? Uh, when you say nurse practitioner, do you mean like family nurse practitioner or really any nurse practitioner? Well, family nurse practitioner, what are the other ones? Well, Pete, uh, I don't know about peds. Is, would peds be worthwhile? Could you could you address that for me there? The issue that's arising in the United States now, I believe they're doing across the continuum. So I think they're done away with some of the specialty, you know, f the geriatrics one doesn't exist anymore. It's family, which comes from the, from the young to the old. So you'll have to check on that. I know there's still psych mental health. That's an excellent one. I mean, um, if you think about the United States, we could use a lot more psych mental health nurse practitioners in the United States. Um, Midwifery is a master's level program now, midwifery. And do you want me to give you your, do you want me to give a little plug for your midwifery program? Please do. And okay. if anyone needs a brochure from Bethlehem University. Yeah. No, actually, I, I'm, since we don't have it in, at Indiana Wesleyan, I feel I can promote um, Bethel's program, and I, I do it gladly. Bethel now has started a midwifery program. It's actually online with a few residencies in Bethel, Minnesota. I always make a difference. There's Beth. There's Bethel, Mishawaka as well, and I'm in Indiana, so I always say Bethel, Minnesota. Um, but if you're wanting to work in any of the Muslim area, 
I probably would do that. I'd probably become a midwife. I mean, that would be, that would get you into that Muslim culture very, pretty effectively. So, um, that would be another master's prepared that would be very use, useful and worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Would that be better than a mistress? Better, I, I, educational, that has to be between you and God. You know, like, I don't, I don't like to say one's better than the other. It depends on where God is calling you and what God is wanting you to, to, to participate and to be in. Okay. There is one other book that I am recommending um, in the preparation. And could you stand up, please? And what is the name of this book? And the author is? Yes. And there's Grace right there. So this book, and where could they find it? Okay, so I'm promoting. It's also available through Amazon. So I'm promoting books today, but this one here is preparing for effective missionary missionary nursing. So if you're looking for some hands-on after this, um, this this would uh, be very helpful. And I'll just tell you what the the uh, the chapters are. Um, Preparing spiritually. We kind of talked about that at the beginning. When I read that quote from Helen Roosevelt, you know, knowing that you're going because God has called you and that he's going to make an impact in your life, whether you make an impact on anybody else's life, it's because spiritually that's where he can mold you and make you more like Jesus Christ. So preparing spiritually, preparing emotionally. Um, It's a very different life now. I mean, I don't know exactly when this book was written, but... Emotional, that emotional separation from, uh, 2003. So before, thank you, before the phenomena, that's now 11 years, before the phenomena of instant communication, okay, preparing emotionally was very different back in the day than it is now. When I went overseas, and I'll just tell you my, okay, this is my, like, kind of sob sort of story. When I went overseas back in the day, my mother would write me a letter. And the letter would, you know, one of those blue envelope. You don't even know what an aerogram is, okay? So a blue, a blue letter would would mail it. It would go by a plane to Kinshasa, the capital city, and then go on a train to Matadi, and then on a boat to Boma, and then on a bus to Chela. And twice a week, we would send a man on a bicycle to get mail. Took three weeks. To here. There you go. So, okay. So, okay. I didn't have it so bad. Um, but, I mean, that was the reality. So, emotionally, you had to be prepared to miss out on a lot of things. Not to hear, not to know. Today, you'd get a text. You'd get an email. People are tied to the information. And there's, it's harder to separate out and be focused on culture. Anybody here from Indiana Wesleyan University graduated? Okay, let me just, okay. Okay, only two. No current students. Okay. Um, I took some students with me to an unknown, unnamed country, okay, because they would give away who the students were. And they texted onto the plane, and they text off the plane, stayed in a guest house, and they text. We got to where we were going, and they texted all the time. They were texting, texting, texting. They were not interacting with the people we'd gone to. They'd go do what a little bit, and then they'd come back, and they'd be texting. 
And it got really bad, and so I called a little meeting. And um, one of one of the students was struggling a great deal about being there. We'd been there about day four, and she had not adjusted at all and could not figure out a way. I mean, there was no way for her to go home, although she had thought about it. And um, so I called and I said, we have to really think about all of this texting and instant communication because you're, you're missing out on opportunities to be with people. You're here to be with people. You're not just here to to go off to, you know, to the hospital for a little bit, do your thing, and then rush back here and get back on. And so you'll appreciate this, I hope. She looked at me in this conversation. There were um, the other students, myself and another leader of the team, and she looked and she said, I don't know if you've ever been in love or not, but I'm in love. <laughs> Literally. I mean, that was <laughs> – and the other leaders looking at me going – So I took a deep breath, and I said, and I kind of went through, God is sufficient. God was sufficient for me back when it took three weeks. God will be sufficient for you that if you don't text being in love every hour, he will be sufficient. (laughs) I mean, really, it was like this was serious, and the person actually kind of wanted to go home. And it really saddened me. Because there was no separation of life at all. And I thought, when you get home, some of you will say, oh, yeah, you've been and go on with life. Because that person has already told every story there was, everything they had ever seen, everything. And there's no, I've got to, you know, I'm building up. I'm going to tell everybody everything when I get home. It was like, they all know that already. And it was just like, I've never been gone. And then I... What is that? Where there was an MK school, and then I I took them to visit the MKs, and there was a friend of mine, and um, she talks to her parents once a week, and they live in another country, and she's a tenth grader, and she's surviving well. And I don't know if they she connected that like maybe I could survive even being in love without you know I'm only gone ten days. But this instant communication, I think, has really hampered integration into culture. Because sitting, I mean, you can every evening, you don't have to play games anymore. You can just text with your family or Skype with your family. And I respect that that's where we are in this culture. I really do. But there is something about sitting around playing games with the other people where you get to know them. And where I was staying, there were some people from the culture, from that country, staying at the guest house. And the night that the Internet was out, we played games. And it was, like, wonderful. And we played games, and there were uh, the nationals were playing games with us. And it was wonderful. There was a building of relationship and time. And the Internet came back on, and that was too bad, actually. <laughs> I like to flip it off. But really, so in your preparation, emotional separation from home has to be, doesn't have to be part of it anymore, really, when I think about it. Because you can be emotionally tied to home every hour, every day. Texting, Skyping, emailing, the whole bit. Now, 
in some ways that's good. You get to hear when somebody is ill and you get to pray and all. But there is a, that emotional separation that never sometimes happens and one doesn't actually have to live in the culture and have friends in the community because you still have all your friends back home and they meet all your friend needs and you don't have to be part of the culture. So as you're thinking of long term, even if you can text home every hour, it's probably not the best for integrating and understanding the culture. So emotional separation, uh, emotional, preparing emotionally, preparing professionally, and we talked about preparing professionally, becoming the best nurse if you're in, uh, um, that you can or the best physician or the best whatever, but preparing um, emotionally. And then it says preparing physically. Um, that's, that's also very important is to be able to be to prepare yourself physically so that you are able to maintain. When we take students to um, China, and when people have said, you know, I'd really like to go, I said, you have to be able to walk one mile and climb up two flights of steps without chest pain. And they just kind of like stare at me. Well, most, now this is maybe stereotypical, but most Chinese restaurants are at least up one flight of steps in China. They're never on ground floor and there's no elevator. And you just do a lot of walking. And so if somebody's going to come, and you probably have to carry your own suitcases, you know. So I let people know that you have to, I don't want somebody having chest pain um, when they're over there. So can you walk a mile without chest pain, and can you walk up two flights of steps without chest pain? And then you can go with me to China. Now, you could go by yourself if you wanted to, but I don't really feel um, obliged then. Now, funniest thing was we went to China, we went so the, we went to a house church on one Sunday morning, and they took us there in taxi cabs. We get out, and the guy says, forgot to tell you, the church is on seventh floor, and there's no elevator. <laughs> okay, so we're up seven flights. And I get up there, and there's a mother up there, um, an American, who had just delivered a baby. And I begin to think, she walked up. You know, two days after her birth, she walked up those seven flights with her baby, and every stick of groceries goes up seven flights. Now begin to think about seven flights, and you have three kids or two kids or one kid. I thought, I have no problem here. I can do the seven flights. I'm not going to complain. But that's the sort of thing that happens. So preparing yourself physically is important because you just never know what you're going to become involved with or how you're going to do it. And the one lady that was with me, the one that I was a little bit more concerned about, um, she'd had a knee replacement like in the summer and we were there in the fall, but she was, she said later, if I'd known it was seven flights, I would have said I wasn't feeling well and stayed home or something. But we, we, it was, it, we were blessed by that time. But we, we don't know how fortunate we have it. If it had been eight floors, they'd have an elevator. But seven floors, you don't need an elevator. So that that was it. Now, can you tell me what time this is actually? Oh, I've got my I've got my sign. Ten minutes left. Okay, I want to give ten minutes. Um, just make certain I've covered everything. I want to give ten minutes for questions. Okay. Um, I think that I can. Okay. Questions or comments or yes. Uh huh. Okay, what extent is licensure uh, an issue? And that's really covered very, that's covered some in When Healthcare Hurts. Um, I just posted on the best practices here a whole document about licensure. It has all you need to know about 
getting licensed in country. Uh, it is important. It's increasingly more important. Mm -hmm. um, you you <coughs> risk if you are practicing without a license. We don't allow people to come here and practice without a license. <coughs> you can be prosecuted. You can be thrown in jail. People have been, mm -hmm. and you just need to take effort and energy to get licensed in country. Now, if you are going on short-term programs or whatever, the people who are sending you and the people who are hosting you should be working on that together. Often you can get a temporary license. Mm -hmm. um, if you are a nursing student, that means that you have to have a licensed person in country who will be willing to supervise you. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I I think licensure is important. We have a semester abroad program in Zambia, and our nurses, our faculty who are over there, they have to become licensed. And they, they, whoever we send over there becomes licensed to, to work in that country. Um, recently, there, we were going to send a team down to Ecuador, and Ecuador now requires that all of, their, all of the documents be, there's a special term, it's not actually, um, not notarized. Huh? Say that again. Apostilled. That's the word. It has to be apostilled, which it's a it's a new thing and it takes longer. And up in um, we could not get it done, so we had to cancel the trip to Ecuador. But that means all your paperwork and everything has to be apostilled by the state that you have your license in. And apostilled is harder than notary. Only I think one person. I mean, it's only one place in the government that does it, right? In the state. Yeah, okay. Notarized, certified, and apostilled. So, yeah, so it's very important. So we could not go to Ecuador because we did not know that new rule and we could not get everything done. It takes, I mean, obviously you have to do all of that. It takes a process. And so, yeah, I think licensure is very important. We've been very loose on I'm just going to go and help somebody. and let, But having a license is very, very important. Thank you. Okay, where? where? I, I, it posted it. It's on the medicalmissions.com website under best practices. Okay. Okay, that was a great question. And I would love to, uh, you know, it's a document that is, is you can critique and you can add to. I'd, be love, I'd love to have feedback on it because obviously I think there's more information that comes every day and it changes. So mm -hmm. um, I'd love to have that. We're mm -hmm. thinking about um, getting, if we, we have a, in a good shape, then the, the Christian Journal for Global Health will take it and publish, publish it online for us. Yeah, so they might, huh? Yeah. Sure. Uh, it's, part, it's part of the, the Center for, for Health and Missions that we're working mm -hmm. on. So there you go. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's not just the license either. You would need to do some orientation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where you're going to be, especially if you're longer term. I mean, if you just don't get the license, right. you might have to do 12 weeks of orientation in the mm -hmm. hospital and bed Right. It, it, it depends. Sometimes you have to become a midwife because a lot some countries require midwifery. Mm -hmm. and, and you, but th that's a wonderful opportunity to study in country, learn mm -hmm. the language, mm -hmm. get acquainted with other nurses. Culture. Uh, the culture. Mm -hmm. um, look at this as an opportunity, not a requirement. Recently for our students in Zambia, they went. They always go before the board of nursing when they get to Zambia. And this last group, they said there was um, 
a problem with all the students. They all had to go get a cart or they had to do something and had to be at a school of nursing. So they had to kind of be affiliated with a school of nursing. So they went to, um, I think it was Matcha, where there's John Hopkins has a malaria institute and there's a school of nursing. And they signed us in. They signed our students in as students so they would be legal in the, in Zambia. That was the first time that happened. So, you know, every time we go every year and there's always a little bit of difference. So that's just part of working globally is being flexible and being able to say, okay, this is, and if we want to do it, we have to do it right. It's the best practice is to do it right. And as, as Grace said, we don't let anybody coming here and just be able to walk into a hospital and start practicing. You know, so we have to we have to be respectful of their. And I know some of you are thinking, well, yeah, but I go to the Amazon and there's no health care for, you know, 500 miles. Why should I have to worry about that? You need to worry about it. You need to know that what you're doing is legal in that country. <coughs> Excuse me. Pardon? For some reason, the Nurse Practice Act in Belize allows you to practice on your U.S. practice. Okay, Belize. So. And it's also English speaking, and that's why a lot of people like to go there because it's it's a it's a great process. Yes. Um, do you suggest for nurses who want to get advanced practice degrees working with an RN before going into grad school, or is going directly in after your undergrad? Okay. Depends on your school. I know there are three or four programs that you can go directly in and become a nurse practitioner. I don't have a problem with that. Then there are other schools like. Unfortunately, mine requires a year or so, you know, so it just it depends on what the school requires and what you want to do. And we've I know some graduates that have gone directly and they're excellent nurse practitioners. I know people who haven't gone directly and they've waited three or four years and that doesn't make them any better nurse practitioners. So it depends on what the program is that they that you want and that school way in the back and then I'll come Yep. I have a biology and Spanish bachelor's, and then went to Ohio State University's accelerated. Program. Yep. Yes. And I'm in primary care, and so I, the skills I did learn the skills that you need as a nurse in primary care, but honestly, the skill set is so different that I was not in any way at a disadvantage. And I've been in practice for five years and love it. If you want to be in an acute care setting, that might be a little bit different. So it's kind of where you want to practice and what you see as a goal for your career. But for me, in primary care, I would. Okay, there you go. <coughs> yes, you. Do you know if there's a simple or organized way of finding out what kind of licenses you need to get in other countries? Is there a simple or easy way to find out? You no. need your no. The answer is <laughs> no. Your second step is whoever your partner is going to be in that country, work with them. I, I, most people just don't, like, pick Greenland and go to Greenland without checking on it. However, if you are 
are working with a non-medical mission organization, yes. I will tell you, they will tell you, oh, you don't need to be bothered to be yeah. licensed because they're theologians and missiologists. They know nothing about <laughs> healthcare. Sorry so about that. Any missiologists here? Yeah. Yes. Uh, who you are partnering with and if they have healthcare as part of their, their ministry. Okay. I mentioned Greenland. Have you seen that map down there where you put where you work? Greenland has absolutely nobody working with them. I feel badly for them. Uh, we were talking about partnerships. I was wondering after your experience, which um, organizations as far as like short-term trips yeah. that you really trust and um, would suggest looking into? Uh, there are 170 booths that we have here. And probably most of them, I mean, I don't know. I mean... I really don't. I, I really don't. I would, I would be remiss to say anything. Now, how many of you have gone on short-term trips? Okay. So, can you help her with with your favorite country, with your favorite one? I really, I really would not dare to say. Um, I just because I don't want to offend somebody and I don't know them all. Yes. Some, is there an advantage of having an MSN or a DNP in nurse midwifery if you're going to work uh, overseas? It, it depends on the country. If you were going to go to some of the Arab-speaking countries, I would probably recommend a DNP because education is very, you know, they have a higher standard of living. They have a higher educational level. They probably would expect more. Um, having a midwifery would be excellent. Um, an MSN or a DNP are probably both really excellent. So it might depend on, the, the country and what the country would want you to have, too. And if you're going to teach, doctoral the work, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, last question. Kind of going along with the delivery, talking about doing it in country, how does that fall on, like, does that fall on who you go with and they help people, or is that all on you and your support that you raise? Like that? What do you mean doing it in country? Like, Great. Um, yeah, that it really depends on your your agency that your sending agency, mm-hmm. and um, it also depends on on the board of nursing in country. Um, sometimes they they have recommendations and how how you can do that. If if they require it for you to be there, I would imagine that would be part of your orientation and part of your having to be there. So if they're requiring it, and uh, you'd have to check with your sending agency. Yeah. But you know. Mary Hermes, who headed the nursing school at Tenwick in Kenya, for example, um, you know, they, Kenya is one of those countries that requires midwifery. So um, obviously if you're going to Tenwick and you don't have midwifery, you can just study, do midwifery at Tenwick and, and get your credential that way. You don't, I'm sorry, I'm at, I was at Tenwick with Mary. You don't have to have midwifery. I'm not a midwife. Okay. 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 Well, I was told that, that you had to have midwifery. Okay. Okay. So, but midwifery programs in some countries are much different than midwifery programs here. It could be like a four-month four period as opposed to a two- or three-year period. I had a friend who went to South Africa did her midwifery in Joburg. They had a program for them. Yeah. Okay. I think our time is up. Um, thank you very much. It was my pleasure being here with you.